Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaron. We're signing on to the sign off of Frameworth podcast for yet another week. It is the podcast where we take a look at all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. And I am joined in studio as always by the ever smiling, ever present, the bright, vivacious Brian Aaronworth joining me across the table. That's my Christmas smile. It's a family affair today. So you are speaking right now like like a character on a TV show who's like, this is my happy voice. <laughs> Where is that coming from? Um, a little bit lighter, a little bit uh, more fanfare, I think, uh, than we normally do this episode because we have kind of a treat. I will introduce our guest in a little bit, but before then, we have a little bit of housekeeping off the top. We did run a little bit of a giveaway after last week's episode, actually a couple of weeks since we've recorded, so it feels yeah. a little bit uh, uh, different being in the studio right now. But we ran a giveaway for a signed and framed Wayne Gretzky eight by 10 photo, put it out to a bunch of the Facebook groups. Uh, as always, if you're out there and you run a Facebook group and you want to get in touch with us, maybe send us some questions uh, or, or, or give us some points of things to talk about on the podcast, reach out to us, sign off pod at framework.com. Uh, all you had to do for this one was uh, subscribe, rate and review to the sign off, take a screenshot of that, tweet it to us and tag a friend. And uh, the winner of that is a, uh, I don't know of the, the, the full name, but I will figure this out. It is on Twitter. The handle is 50 and 39. Wonder where he got that that from at plates 50 and 39 you are the winner of a signed and framed Wayne Gretzky 8 by 10 photo he's holding up the cup all fitting 50 and 39 uh so reach out to us sign off pod at framework.com you got 30 days from the drop of this episode to get us your shipping address and we will get that sent out to you ASAP keep an eye out and ear out obviously for and actually because of all the support that these guys gave us we again shot up the chart the weekly charts uh to I think it was 50 in the nation, 50 in North America or something? 50 in the nation. We got 50 and 39 in the nation. There, there you go. You go. <laughs> so because of that and because of your support, we'll continue to do draws like this. And every week we read a, uh, a review and mm-hmm. uh, pass on something nice to uh, whoever we select. Yeah. And that's done randomly. We don't handpick our special guests. And of course. Of course. I now, uh, for you guys that know me, I can... Be, no, no. <laughs> Mikey does this. I don't do it. That's true. That's true. Uh, uh, so thanks again for taking part, but we don't want to spend too much more time, as we always say, patting ourselves on the back. We have someone who's been waiting patiently for an introduction, a man who I know very well. Uh, Dad, you know him very well. I believe I mentioned you are the president yeah. of Framework Sports Marketing. If yes, I hadn't, then yes. I'm going to mention that once again. Uh, you are also the father of our guest this week, and uh, this guest is my brother, <laughs> a person whose perspective I'm very curious to get uh, because our lives took different paths, although we spent our entire lives together, um, especially as it comes to the company and to the mm-hmm. the realm of sports marketing and sports memorabilia. We are joined by Chris Aaronworth. How's it going, guys? Not too bad. Oh. I feel like we should give you a round of applause or something like that. I felt like I kind of deserved one there. It, it felt like it was going to happen. Like I was I was leading up to it. I was ramping up. Now, uh, Chris, you are no stranger to the realm of podcasting as well. You and I also do a podcast together apart from this one called uh, uh, Jackass, a That's Jackass true. podcast with another host, Jay, uh, where we rate so aptly we, named for my kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we review every single episode of the TV show Jackass. That is a, a wildly different tone than this one. Very but different. if you're wondering why Chris is so comfortable in front of the microphone, it's because he's used to that. Now, why are we having my brother, 
your son, Dad, uh, on this podcast. What is this? Nepotism, the podcast. No, it's not. What we well, want, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. We've got to include everybody. Well, it's Nicole's a not here, so we're missing our my daughter. Nicole uh, Maybe uh, being we'll the, have the, the whole other sibling. family affair at one point. But. but that is, you say family affair, and that is kind of the point of, of what we're, we're trying to get into here today. Uh, it was an interesting thing, I think, growing up. From the very beginning, sports memorabilia and, and sports marketing has been in my lifeblood. You know, it's just it's been something that I've I've never known a life without it. And Chris, you're the same. And in spite of that, we ended up in in very different circumstances in our in, in the modern day. So I want to get into that. Not only your perspective uh, of of what it was like growing up uh, in 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 this industry and and some of the insight that you have, because even while you worked at Frameworth, you had a a, a very different role than what I ended up taking on. Yeah, I didn't do as nearly as much as you. <laughs> Hence why I'm not here anymore. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's always, this has always been the tale of you and, and myself. I think you've always been kind of like the salesperson, the, the out there, the meeting people, the shaking hands, kissing babies and that sort of thing. I've always preferred a little bit more of the operations and sort of the background. So your perspective of, of growing up in this industry is going to be incredibly different. You had a lot more experience working with the players, working signings. Uh, that sort of thing, especially in the early days while we as a company were still figuring this out. That's, I think, what I'm most excited to talk to you about when we get to it is how you helped the company figure out how we're supposed to run a signing in the first place. I mean, these are stories that if, 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 if you as the listener listening to this podcast, if we told you, okay, you have a week, not even that. Okay, yeah, you have a week to drive down to Chicago, put Try together three days. <laughs> three days to drive down to Chicago, put together 2,000 items for a signing, and on your own, you have to get those items signed and bring them back. You wouldn't know where to start. And Chris, you were faced with this quite often, several times, and we're going to get into some of those stories. But before we do that, I'd like to kind of set the record straight on something here. One of our most popular episodes on the podcast was early in its run. When dad, you shared the story, which we, <laughs> we gleefully and playfully call the Rick trash fiasco. <laughs> I knew you were going here with this one. And I, I, you play featured prominently, Chris, in this story <clears throat> as, as a quick summary, essentially Rick Nash had trusted you dad in the company with framing all of his, his entire collection of his most important game used jerseys. You're never going to let him down on this. Eh? I listen to I? every episode and you bring it up all the time. I, of course I would. Would you not? That's why I'm trying to get some brownie points with the yeah, boss okay. over here. I, maybe I want to work <laughs> Thank here. God again it enough. ended up okay. So it ended up okay. Of course it did. If you want to hear the full story, go there and and listen to it but essentially they all the all the the jerseys accidentally got thrown in the trash and we had to end up chasing them down at uh various dumps across Ontario uh, that's an incredible story it's early on in the catalog go look that up but Chris you were working here at the mm -hmm. time that that happened from dad's perspective he likes to paint it as yes something went wrong but I found a way to make it right you were one of the first people to volunteer to Absolutely. leave the office and go collect jerseys knowing it was the hottest day it was on legitimately. record. That is not an exaggeration. Not an exaggeration. If you look it up, you will see that it was the hottest day of that entire year and maybe one of the hottest days ever. On record on, in of, Toronto. Uh, in, of that time frame, yeah. And you volunteered to go spend the t your time at a dump, searching through trash to find the remaining Rick Nash jerseys. Well, when he moved out of the house... Uh -huh. He ended up doing some dumpster diving, so he's kind of useful. <laughs> well, you know what? When I first, I, at this point, uh, I started working here actually in the factory. Right. Um, and there was a lot of big jobs. It was more like massive jobs, assembly line jobs, things for Canadian Tire. Um, I have ADHD, so 
focusing on one thing for a very long period of time is extremely uh-huh. difficult you, for you me. focused on my question for a split second I'm now there. You're not I'm again there <laughs> so the, the my job was to slap a plate down hit it move it down right. slap a plate move it down right. all day long so any i would jump at the opportunity to go take out the garbage to go do any single possible thing right so when i heard we're going to the dump and i got to spend the day outside in the summer i was stoked i was like Sign me up. I'm going to help you out. I kind of phrased it like I really want to help the company. Yeah. I just wanted to get out of the factory for so, the day, so to be honest. Let me, let me, I, I like that because I, I was I was, I was, was half joking because I knew you were kind of setting the uh, the the context for why you would volunteer to do this. Uh, uh, but I think there would be a, an, uh, a misunderstanding that for kids like us growing up, we'd have a summer job and we'd sit in the office and look at a computer and play solitaire and get paid for it and then go play with our friends after work. For you and me both, it did not start out that way. How did your, how did you first, keeping in mind that our dad owned the company, mm-hmm. what was your first job at Frameworth in the sports marketing world? I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember if it was the, like, I think my second time was actually in the factory. I wasn't doing as good in school. So he kind of took away the, oh. the nice, I think before I was actually editing hockey hall of fame photos. Oh, okay. Like putting the logos on and I was working more in the inventory side of things which was like, I was a nice air condition. It was a nice day. Sure. And then when my grades weren't going so well, he decided to make sure you're going to have to see how all aspects of the business. Sure. And, and it definitely helped out a little bit in that aspect for and, sure. And what did you do? What, what was your, your, your role when, when he said he was going to teach you a lesson from uh, the school of hard knocks? Putting slapping plates onto like the million piece order for Canadian tire. Plates being obviously like a descriptive the, the plate that you'd plates, see within, yeah. within a, a... Take the glue gun, put it down, move it, slide it down. Yes. I did that Keep all day in mind long. that you... The factory in the summertime gets very hot. Very hot. It is an air condition. And uh, it was something that you need to know if you're not going to excel in school and, and work hard at, at something that you want to do, then you're going to learn what it's like if you're, you know, the, the, to, to do more of a labor intensive job. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But I think there was actually a lot of the times there are a lot of more creative jobs or more, uh, well, you weren't going to get anything cushy. No, no, no but I mean, in, in within terms of the plant, there's actually a lot of things that are maybe, you, you know, you're actually building frames. This was the year where it was straight punishment. There was nothing <laughs> fun about it. There was no creativity. It was, you were literally an assembly line, a machine on assembly did you, line. So. Did you, dad, speak to the foreman at the time? I believe it probably would have been Jabel. Jabel, yeah. Jabel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, would, did you speak with him and basically say the job that no one else wants to do, I want you to no, give it to No, no, he just purposely did that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he was, no, it, I mean, there was, ju- we had a lot of mass production work. We were doing some big contracts at the time and, um, it, Somebody had to do it. So it was low man on the totem pole and they couldn't get any lower than Chris. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's fascinating to, to picture that that's how it all started. Similar to me, started counting photographs. I I worked my way through customer service jobs and, and, and a lot of inventory uh, to sales to then operations. Chris, you moved from that, that summer of, of, of tough lessons to more of a customer service and sales role. Correct. Is that, is that sort of how you moved? Well, I was, these were summer jobs at that point. And I went to university and then I came back and I started working here. Um, Actually I was selling photocopiers for a while uh, for a company called Rico and when I decided to leave that company, I wanted to come back here and kind of take my newfound sales abilities and bring it to the family company, have more of like a established role within the company and sure. see what I was able to do from there. And, uh, and, and from that point, had you thought, or, or at, at any point, were you thinking long-term career or was it always experiential in your No, mind? I was definitely thinking long-term career for a while, yeah. especially when I got into the sales role side of things. Um, 
I, I really enjoyed sales. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to be schmoozing once. I absolutely love doing things like, like we were talking about earlier with like the autograph signings, meeting the players. I felt comfortable in those situations. And, you know, when we're sitting in lineups and, you know, just kind of monitoring the whole situation. You know, it's funny just to interrupt there. The one job that everybody that comes to this company seems to volunteer for is doing the autograph signings. It, I, and it, I wonder so, why. Yeah. You know what? It, it's the advantage we have in the industry. Is that, well, if you work for us, we might send you to the odd signing with Sidney Crosby or Jonathan Taves or one of those guys. So it is, it is a bonus. Perk, yeah. yeah. I mean, some, sometimes it's not as much fun when there's things like, you know, we're waiting for the customs paperwork to go through and I need to drive a cube van all the way to Chicago. And now I'm leaving at five o'clock rush hour on a Friday, driving all throughout the night. Well, let's, let's, let's so, pull yeah. on that thread. Cause I, I, I do, you know, I'll use this to kind of set it up whenever we start by interviewing someone or bring someone in for, for a meeting or something along those lines, as soon as we built at Frameworth, the showroom, the massive showroom where we show off all of our products. It's an event space. We've had Wayne Gretzky there. We've had Mario Lemieux there, Bobby Orr, anyone you can think of. We've had events there that, that have hosted hundreds of people and it's, staggering it it's a magnificent look especially if you're if you're in the realm of of sports collecting and when anyone walks through that door they say oh my god you must lose your mind every time every time you're up here like you get to spend all your time around the things that is are my passion they would say as the collector and i think they would have a similar reaction to hearing about the fact that uh, you got to work here and then go drive down to chicago just to do a signing with patrick kane but that's assuming that all that's involved in that is getting in a truck, driving, s- sitting in a room with Patrick Kane, and then driving back. Not the case at all. No. And I want you to kind of walk <laughs> us through some of the, the what, what would someone not expect when, when they're offered that job? I, I have, walk I have through a, your worst signing. I have a, okay, this is, this was actually similar to a signing, but it had to do with going to Chicago okay. um, for the big convention. Uh, we went out, we got out of here late cause we we're waiting on customs paperwork because you're bringing products over and there's a lot of complications with that. Um, me and the other gentleman that was working here, we got out, we stayed in a hotel right over the border because by this point it was like, I think about midnight or something. Mm-hmm. We had a long day. We went, we got a bottle of bourbon, had a few drinks, woke up the next day. We didn't finish what we had. We threw it in the back of the truck. We're driving and we see one of those all trucks pull over signs on right. the highway. And we're right. like, we're in a cube van. Is this a... Is this like, are we supposed to stop? We don't know what's going on. Right. We stop. The guy's asking us for all this information. We're like, we're not truck drivers. We don't know. We just stopped because we figured it's better not to. Right. To I don't even think we even it. had to stop. Probably not. Basically, no. it's it's a it's a way station and it would be more for 18 wheelers. You're yeah. in a cube van, which is which exactly. you don't need a separate license to drive. Exactly. But you also don't want to. I don't want to do anything. Wrong. We're not doing anything wrong. I might as well just. You're thinking take- you're going to drive through there. They're going to wave you through exactly. and laugh and, and give you a little pat on the back. They went through. They decided to search it. Turns out, because it's a commercial vehicle, there was open alcohol, which was a bottle that we just closed, like a, like a bottle of rum or whis- whiskey or whatever. And now we're getting arrested on the side of the road. <laughs> like arrested, arrested. Uh, in cuffs. They brought out breathalyzers. The guy said- You didn't tell me you were in cuffs? Nick was in cuffs. Because <laughs> <laughs> he goes, which one's driving? Or who was, who was drinking? You know, we're just like, we're just trying to figure this out. And we're like, we're not, we didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, I'm bringing out a breathalyzer right now. If you blow even point zero 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 one. You're going to jail. We're outside of Detroit right now. I'm like, this is not going to be a good situation. Luckily, well, I, he's like, blow. I'm like, 
like doing the tiniest <laughs> little blows. He's like, blow harder. I was like, okay, fine. Luckily, you know, obviously we weren't drinking and driving. Everything was fine. But but you're still thinking because the, the night before you had I'm had doing a the math drinks. in my yeah, head. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. This is, he said like anything. So I'm freaked out. Long story short, he grounds the vehicle. Now we have to get somebody. One of my buddies actually came, drove out from Toronto to drive the vehicle because neither of us were able to drive it. We got into the trade show at about midnight, had to set up for the next day. It was basically, we got about three hours of sleep in, in two days and then had to drive back. It was a, it was a pretty interesting trip that time. That's intense. I, I, so did you not know that, that one of the employees ended up in handcuffs? Uh, I, you know, now that you mentioned it, I didn't think it was you, but uh, you, now Nick, who's, well, we, who's just left the firm uh, after 15 years. On good terms. Left, we, we, yeah, we've, yeah. we had issues because rightfully so, he was hesitant to cross the border with anything. I mean, so so to to the original question, which is basically... What is involved with these sorts of signings that that people wouldn't have have realized? I always point to something like customs paperwork to start off. I've been stopped so many times. It's right. not a you, you don't know how long you're going to be sitting there. You know you have a long day or you have a deadline to get out there. So here's here's a kind of like a I like to go sort of in depth on things like this because uh, it, it almost sounds boring, but turns out the people who like listening like to hear these sorts mm-hmm. of in depth stories. Uh, when you cross the border with anything, even if you're on vacation. Uh, you need to essentially declare everything that you have. If you've ever been involved in a commercial shipment, you need to know to a granular level, what is that item made of? Is it polystyrene? If so, what kind of polystyrene? Is it a fabric? If so, what kind of fabric? So when we send a jersey out, there is no determination necessarily for what a jersey is because they need to know what they're charging taxes and tariffs on. Is it just a jersey? When it goes through, it is. But now it's coming back as a signed product. How do you reconcile that? The, The item has now changed so That's, how do you how do who who are you paying for that? The you, Canadian you to, government or the U.S. government? Yeah, these these sorts of things are are headaches that are before the signing even takes place. Well, one one of the things that that caused the biggest problem, which is why none of my guys after this happened wanted to go across the border because they were continually getting flagged, pulled over, and waiting hours. Mm-hmm. Was back in the day, hockey jerseys were made by CCM in Canada. Right. Right. And then without really picking up the fact that they had changed to, to start making them in Asia, um, the tags would then reflect the fact that they were made in Asia, not Canada. Right. So made in Canada is one thing. So yeah, because I think they changed out, the factory to Indonesia. Right. Like, yeah. And when you, when, you, uh, when you fill out the paperwork, you better be saying exactly where it came from. So we continued to say it was made in Canada. Of course. Not with any intention to, to mislead anybody. We didn't pick that up. They opened some boxes, saw that they weren't made in Canada, and there was all sorts of hassles and hours and hours awaiting that shipment, and every shipment subsequently was flagged and waited. And so Nick and Chris and whoever drove that that shipment across the border for the signings would get flagged, and they every would just time. it would be a nightmare sitting waiting for these. You'd have guys to factor to in a, a full day just across yep. the border. And now yep. this is again turning to that innocent question of you must love going on signings. <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be, and and I kind of want to continue on that, Chris. You've had some obviously some great experiences, so at many signings great ones as well. So, so why don't part. we why don't we split up the horror stories <clears throat> with with a story? Uh, let's let's go again uh, back to Chicago, for example. I know you've had a lot of experiences there uh tell us about something uh, an experience you had in chicago with with some of those players i had like my favorite experience was definitely in chicago i was like probably 20 21 somewhere around there i was just in that i was definitely 21 because i was legal in the states but okay. um 
Kane and Taves, this was, I think, their second season, and they were absolute. I've never seen anything like it. They were just the hottest, crazy rock all, stars, yeah, like absolute rock stars. And it was all young, like young, like girls, like good looking girls. And it was not even like the, your typical hockey fan, like a dude or a bro or something like that. It was just like this completely different demographic. So we're going down there. They're around the same age as me. And um, this was a signing. At I, a mall. I know much about that demographic, by the way, because <laughs> I see who listens to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so me and my dad were there and this, the signing, uh, we were running a little late, but everybody in the entire mall knew what was going on that day. This and was it was in a big shopping a mall in Chicago. Mall. Yeah. And we're walking down this escalator and word got out and it, it felt like we're like the Beatles, honestly. And it was like an experience that I will never be able to get because I'm not a famous person. <laughs> and I don't think I would want to have on a regular basis, but to get a taste of what that's like, right. walking down the escalators with these guys and there's thousands and thousands of cheering fans. It was just like, it was a really cool thing to see. And what was your role at the signing? Um, I was just sitting beside, I believe, Taves that day um, just to, you know, check people's things, make sure that they paid for the right types of things, make sure that no one's getting out of hand. Like there were some girls that were sitting in the front. This is the weirdest thing ever. They're like sitting <laughs> on like this barricade at the front and they're just like, Jonathan, can we have your number? Jonathan, can we have this? And he was drinking a bottle of water and they're like, Jonathan, can we have your bottle of water? And he's like, no, they look over at me. They're like, Hey guy sitting beside Jonathan, can we have your bottle of water? And I was like, why the hell do you want my bottle of water? They're like, well, you're sitting beside him. I'm like, holy man, there's some thirsty girls out there. Literally. Oh, well, it was also like a, an amphitheater because we were on the bottom <sighs> level of, uh, I was there with him, which was watching Chris is never smile, never left his face. We had Kane at one table. I guess I was sitting with, uh, uh, Pat and then Chris was it with Jonathan and, we we're on the bottom floor of, of the of the mall, but it was a big circular second floor looked down on the first mm -hmm. floor and they were lined up on the railing. Everybody and they were singing and yelling and that it was crazy. Nuts. And Chris, he he was just like grinning from ear to ear. Well, I, I took it on the liberty myself. All these girls were uh handing out their phone numbers and they were just passing <laughs> it to me to pass to him because it'd be easier. So I I thought I'd be, you know, the good old guy and sort through the ugly ones, sort oh, not oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to sewer the guy. You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, these ones you might want to call back. I don't know. And, and did, did they appreciate it? I have it? no idea. I don't even know like what the situation was after, but I was just like, you know, taking that upon myself. Were there any run-ins that you had with fans? Because I've, I've worked a few of these sort of situations before. I'm more familiar with public signings, I think at this point, than private signings at the Sport Card Expo in Toronto for a few years. Frameworth was running the Autograph Pavilion. So, I mean, I would wholesale. Well, that one that he's talking about, obviously, was a, that was, was a public. public. No, that that's what I mean. Oh, that that's yeah. what I'm saying. So yeah. so I I am familiar with a lot of that. More familiar with public than right, private right. Uh, in in a lot of cases. Uh, and I know that at public signings, you often find yourself in a situation where you never want the athlete or the star to be the person saying no or coming across as mean or or or, or declining a fan. So you always have to be the bad person. There's oh, there always has to be one person to keep the line moving to tell people no. And to make it seem like the athlete doesn't even know that these these questions are being asked. And if you're out there listening and you've ever been asked to, to move along or something, this is not a shot at you whatsoever. Uh, we're always limited in time. If everyone had as much time as they wanted, we would never get through. As you mentioned, the mm -hmm. mall was packed full of people. Were there situations at this signing or any others where you've had to play the bad guy? Yeah, 100%. Almost every signing, there's yeah. something. And, and I think the important thing is to differentiate between... You know, there's some people that are just, this is like their moment. And yeah. and I totally understand it. I feel the same types of things a lot of the times. Um, but there is a point where you got to move it along. You can't sit around and, and while other people are waiting and taking away from their time, rattle off every story about every game you've ever been to and, and these specific details about things. So 
Uh, I've had people trying to sneak through extra autographs, and you just have to that's catch these probably things. The biggest that's that's problem. the big one. The sneaking thing is is brutal because everyone knows what the rules are, and I get people are trying to you know make a living or do what they got to do. But I I would have no problem. I'd like kind of taking on that role because I don't want to put that on the player. The players are going to do that. They're all really nice guys, and they don't want to come across bad. And you could have one person that tells one story that could ruin their reputation. So. I they don't I'm literally a nobody I don't care so if they're trying to sneak that that by on me it didn't I, go very I, well I wouldn't for call it. you a nobody you had strangers asking to drink from your water bottle I mean that's pretty cool um I I I I've had those situations several times before and it, it never feels great uh, but you also mentioned sneaking like at a certain point it's not even sneaking it's like you tell them no and then they pretend like they hear you and then they try to get more and more and more in and that it almost feels like just the cost of doing business like par for the course someone is always going to do that at every signing as long as it doesn't reflect poorly on the player i think you as the person administering the signing has has done their job you know 99 percent of the people that are going to these signings are you know understand the rules totally. and understand mm-hmm. how how to go but but you can almost spot you, you you can spot the guy in line yeah that's going to sneak something out of his pocket or open his jacket and have him sign the front of the jersey right right right, or, right. and you know, not that that's a bad thing. It's not about all the money. It's about being fair to everybody. Right. So, but it's amazing you, how you can pick that person out in the crowd. No, that guy's going to be a problem. Well, the, the worst is when you do see that person, you notice it, you go over because you see they have extra things. Hey, how many tickets do you have, for example? Yep. Oh, they have like 15 things and two tickets. You're like, sorry, you can only pick two. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize that. And then even after you call them out from spotting them, yeah. then they come to the lineup and they still try and do it in front of your face. And you're yeah. just like, come on, man. Feels feels a little disrespectful. It's funny, you know, we had Rocket on, uh, who is a head of athlete concierge services and security as well. He works with a lot of NHL players. We've had him on twice earlier. He's on my favorite podcast. guest on the show great, for sure. Great I guest. love those episodes. Telling stories about, about much more aggressively getting in the way of fans and the athletes because he's not only looking out for uh, their image, but also their safety, right? Right? So he has to really get involved, but he talks about the same thing. Yeah. You look at a room full of people and the the one who's going to cause problems always ends up standing out. You do this for long enough and, and, and that's going to, it's, it's going to be something that jumps out at you. Um, I, 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 I don't know when I want to get to this, but we do have a ton of stories from Chicago, Chris, and, and not all of them went quite as well uh, as, as the public signing sure. in, 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 at the mall that you had mentioned. The one I want to talk about, we might as well get into it. Might as well. Something that like, here's, I'll set this story up because I, I think about this moment all the time. And I tell this story not in a braggadocious way because I'm very embarrassed by it, but it's also a hilarious story. And I think it would be remiss if we didn't tell it on the podcast. The Chicago Blackhawks had just won the Stanley cup. We were desperate to get their product. Cause I think this is after the first time that they'd won. Right. And we have a signing plan with Duncan Keith, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. And we have two days to do it uh, a day to get down there and a day to get back. We had one night to ourselves after the Keith signing and the Tave signing and Kane was the next day. <laughs> and we as a family had gone out to a restaurant, the restaurant Gibson's Gibson Steakhouse. Gibson Best Steakhouse. Steakhouse. I love that place. A little bit of a tradition when we go down there, we, uh, we, we catch up, you know, it's not, it's not that often, uh, you know, right now is rare. We're not always in a room just talking with the three of us. So we go out for a little bit of family time and we start by ordering a round, a round of martinis, which if you're Canadian <laughs> and you're listening to this podcast, that doesn't sound like much to you. It turns out at a U.S. steakhouse, a martini is about six ounces. They'll empty a bottle it's, into it's, three it's martinis. So, so over here, a, t- a typical martini is about two ounces and right. like a half of vermouth or something like that. 
I realized the glasses they were giving us after a couple times going there, wondering what the hell, yeah. why we've been getting so bombed every time yeah. we went there, is that they, they serve it in an eight-ounce glass. So each martini, and it's filled to the brim. Yes. Factor in a little bit of water down. You're basically <laughs> drinking eight shots of vodka every martini that you have. And I think we had two that day, if I'm not mistaken. We had two and then a few bottles, bottles of, of wine. wine. Yeah. Dad being the, the <laughs> smart veteran, the grizzled veteran of the sports memorabilia industry, you called it, right? And and what did you expect us to do? Go out or, or come back? Or what are you I, thinking? I called it, and but I knew you guys were young. It was about 11 o'clock or something when I left for the hotel. For the hotel, but uh, you guys just decided that you couldn't leave Chicago without seeing a few more bars. Of course, and it's a great city. Absolutely. Right I down on Rush city. Street, too, which is where all the action is. Yeah. So we, Chris Chris and I, you know, to, to make this part of the story short, we continue on for most of the night, still, like, trying to responsibly count our drinks, but not factoring in how hefty those, those martinis were. Uh, anyway... Something goes off and we wake up the next morning. Are you, you're not going to tell the part about the uh, the manager of that? <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with sports marketing. I almost got in a fight with the manager of the Backstreet Boys. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the manager of the Backstreet Boys? We, some, some girls kind of like, we're, I don't even know how it happened. They start chatting with us and we go into this like hotel lobby bar with them. We're chatting and this guy comes down and he's like, Bluetooth in his ear, like acting like this. And he's kind of being super rude to us. We're talking to these girls. And he made some comment like, oh, you're going after all these young guys or something like that. And we're just like, what the hell is going on? And long story short, Mikey completely outwitted the guy in the fashion that only Mikey could do, embarrassed him. And the guy wanted to fight us and nothing ended up happening. No, nothing, we ended thankfully, up thankfully, because uh, we, we still had a signing to ruin the next day. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't want to be late for that. So we woke up, we did our best. We put on our best, our best face. Uh, uh, and then it, it turned out, you know, Patrick Kane, especially after this Stanley Cup win, he knew how to party. Mm -hmm. The whole team did, right? I mean, there were there were pictures of the team uh, leaving the bars the next day after winning the Cup at like 8 in the morning and things like that. Somehow, you and I ended up going and being more hungover than the guy who scored the game-winning goal for the Stanley <laughs> Cup finals. Uh, we spent all morning drinking Gatorade, trying to prep ourselves, prep the signing, and then all of a sudden we get the call that he's around the corner. Uh, what's going through your head when you realize that we've got uh, a two-hour signing hands-on with this guy? Well, I, what's going through my head is, number one, I'm feeling so nauseous. Yes. Like, I'm, like, running to the bathroom. You know, I'm just hold, trying to hold you, it You together. and I are basically tag team in the bathroom. Yes, yeah, where it's like, <laughs> I, I'll do this, you go to the bathroom, vice versa. I also just, I just, I know that I have... Uh, drive from Chicago back to Toronto right. after this, which is going to... I know I got, a, like, an all-day drive. So, just it's a miserable day. I just want to get the signing in, get it done. Be as composed as I possibly can be, given the circumstances, right. and just move forward. This is my boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's, again, not a point of pride. Probably the biggest misstep in a signing we've done. To be fair... Got done. Everything got the, done. Everything got fine. done. The only issue that we had... The only issue that we had... Well, two issues. <laughs> One... There was a point where you were standing up in front of Kane and you were moving the photos from side like to side as he was signing. 21s. So you're across the table from him and you have a gag reflex unlike anything that I've ever seen. You stand up stiff and straight and it catches Kane's attention. Like, looks he looks up at you and you gag. You you audibly gag standing <laughs> three feet away from him. And Kane looks at me like, what the fuck is going on with you guys? <laughs> he probably thought I was going to throw up on him. And yes. all over all the memorabilia yes. as well. That's yeah. what it looked like. We didn't, thankfully you oh. didn't and you didn't ruin any memorabilia, but we did get one thing wrong during that signing. Do you remember what that was? No, I don't think so. Do you remember that was, Dad? Missigned something? We did miss sign something. Oh, sign the numbers on the wrong side. On the wrong we side. 
Is that what that, I didn't realize that happened then. I just saw those numbers. They're still here. <laughs> well, listen. And we paid for them. A number eight, of course, it was, it was, it was Frameworth's, I'm not going to take personal oh, responsibility. Oh, yeah, we did it on the side that you. Because you, you, if, if you cut twill for a number, you have the side that goes against the jersey and the twill that faces outside, right? And we signed it on the, the opposite and side. And eight, no matter which way you flip it, it's going to look the same. So like, does anybody out there want to buy some numbers that were signed on the reverse side? Because I, <laughs> I just found those the other day. We I mean, they're limited inventory. edition now. That's the day Kane almost got thrown up on by That's me. True. And, uh, yeah, That's that true. That might have some value to it, game right? Game used. Game used signing. Uh, so I just wanted to give a little bit of, a, of, of insight into what it's like working these signings uh and hey a, a little bit more insight of what it's like to work these signings uh, when when you're you're hung over as as all hell chris what were the the pain processes and learning processes in in getting comfortable with the signings was there ever an element of nerves when you first started to do these things um i wouldn't say as much nerves you just want to make sure that you count everything there's no issues with numbers i would double count triple count make sure all the numbers are there you build the trust up with the, like the players and things like that i don't want any reputation being messed up right um you would just you would go in there deal with it i really got good at lining everything up in such an organized way that the player it's like you have one person moving and one person the player signing so you could get as much done in a short period of time sure. so the process is as easy on the players as possible yep um I, when we would do signings, for example, in Chicago, a lot of sometimes we'd get other guys to come and they bring their stuff and, and they're just like, they have like coat racks of jerseys instead of getting the numbers done. They're getting these whole things. It just becomes like nothing a huge process. A, yeah. Nothing pisses a player off more than, and this just happened recently with uh, two signings that were done by a player, one with us and one with somebody else. And uh, the guy came, the player came to us in the, the second uh, signing and was so he had done this signing. With he had the, done the signing yeah. with the other company, and and he, you could tell he was not in a good mood. Was this the same day? Yeah. Okay. Like hours later, uh -huh. and he eventually came around. and was great because he saw how efficient our guys were. Like everything, what they signed here, what he signed here was double what he signed somewhere else, and it took him double the time at the other place to sign them. It was all unorganized. The guy was ready to walk out the player. So. Having it organized and in and out quickly and is one of the most important things you can do at a signing. It's so funny because we can sit here and we can talk about, you know, everyone can relate to the strategy of, of you know, how to, uh, how to, to, uh, with, with your hockey team, you know, dump the puck in and chase it and, and, and work the cycle and, and keep the puck in it. Like that, that strategy that everyone can understand, but there's also a strategy to something like running a signing. Little Absolutely. things, little things like, you know, we have these giant canvases that that go over really well in, in the industry, right? They're giant canvases, but people don't realize how much of a uh, an issue they can be to sign you to wait for them to get dried. They're heavy, they're big, transporting them is tough. So there are there are little strategies like you put a big pile of canvases in front of them, they sign that, you you lay them out as they dry and you layer them in a way where you're the not taking up a ton of space, you, but you're not... You, yeah, space management is massive. It's key. And then after a bunch of canvases, what are you most likely to do? After sorry, after after you sign a bunch of canvases, what are you most likely to do? Well, you you have to. I I, I, oh, really I was I was going to say you'd like throw in throw in a, a puck. Oh oh, oh yeah, so photos, yeah. You like, have the fillers while you're waiting for those to dry, exactly. and then you come after those, move those, and then get the yeah. other canvases done. Then with fillers, exactly. Like Little, you, there's never any dead time. There's never dead time, and that's why when we work with these these players, our whole goal is to make sure that their experience in the signing is as seamless as possible. Like, look, we hear this always. Where people are like, why wouldn't they just do more signings? You just sign your name and you make 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 40, whatever it is. It's like super easy. But 
it's also no one would have fun sitting down for two hours and signing their name. I don't care if you're a professional hockey player or or uh, you're in your first job and you're working at a grocery store or something like yeah. that. Like it, it, regardless, spending two hours doing that isn't the most fun experience you could possibly do. So we want to make sure that they go. In in your experiences, Chris, are there any players who have stood out that, in spite of the monotony of of uh, running one of these signings or doing one of these signings? constantly maintains a positive air uh uh is is there someone that stands out to you as just i've been super lucky yeah like all the framework guys all the people that i dealt with were just amazing some were like like jonathan taves yep sydney crosby patrick kane like those guys were just especially like you know little things like after like hey do you want me to help you i'll help you box this up i'm like right. no man like bro you got <laughs> go you, practice people what don't realize doing? players work basically six days a week they have like a couple weeks off uh, especially if you make a deep playoff run, you have right. time for vacation, then you're back to training. Like it, everyone thinks it's this easy thing. You're waking up, you're training, even on your days off, you have things to do and responsibilities. So, you know, you're taking in to very valuable time of people, right? And I, I don't care what job you have. You know, if you're, it doesn't matter what profession you are. If you're in that top elite level of that profession, your time is very valuable. Yeah. And you, and you really need to take care of that consideration. Some guys are, well, basically every guy I've dealt with was really nice. I mean, sometimes there was a time where, I won't even mention it, but it's like you go in, we're at the practice waiting, waiting for after to do the signing and people know you're there. And I guess they just don't want to do it that All day. The, the players, the players yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then you find out they slipped out the back door. That's and you're happened just like, to me before as well. Come on, man. I'm waiting for this. Now I need to drive home and deal with this. And I mean, it, you, I don't know what someone's going through in that day, but yeah, that kind of thing sucks a little bit. That sometimes you. it happens by accident. I know. In particular, you're talking Chicago. Pat Kane. No, I was I was talking about a different. Place. No, no, no. I know you were because Pat came back to the rink, like he just forgot that he had to do the. Oh, signing. I don't think I was there. That Jonathan day. Taves came in, and then we we're waiting for Pat, and then we said, Jonathan said, "Where where's Pat?" And I said, "Well, he's supposed to come in with you." He said, "Well, he was just getting showered and all that. I thought he'd be in." He wait. He waited with us, and then said, "Let me call him." He was already back at his condo. And said, oh, I forgot all about oh, it and came wow. back to the ring. I was talking it. about the time when we had to track down the player's house and we're driving through the hills trying to yeah, figure out where I the know, heck we I were I know going. who you're talking about there. <laughs> He's no longer with us, so I could almost slam the guy. Uh, no, he was that. a good guy. He was <laughs> no, a good guy other than guy. that one day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I, I want to get, uh, Dad, I want to actually ask you a couple questions in a little bit, but but before we do that, Chris, uh, uh, there was a, one, of the, one of my favorite stories to, to stick to Chicago. Uh, it was actually another story with Dad. I believe this was at the All-Star game and a very young Patrick Kane came in with a brand new suit and was given instructions not to shake the paint pen that that he was signing with shook it anyway and got his suit completely ruined knew that it wasn't our fault was was obviously upset with the the situation were there any situations in your signings that you kind of uh forced you to take pause or put a player in an uncomfortable situation <sighs> i'm trying to think there's not much I can think of everything generally went pretty smooth other than that time when I was hung over that one day. And <laughs> it just made things a little bit awkward. Uh, the paint, and I can't really think of anything along the lines of like the yeah. paint spilling on the player or something like that. Yeah, I'm definitely the number. But actually <laughs> Chicago, just to finish off the Chicago, because we're talking about a lot of signings. Yeah. But there were a lot of, as, as the Aaronworth family um, evolved and grew, uh, or grew up. Yeah, we've been was, evolving. Yeah, ever, yeah. That's how we look at it. So the, but... You know, obviously wanted to be part of a lot of the games and things that happened. So there was the Winter Classic there. Right. Remember that? I do. I do. Uh, that was my 
bad. Um, no, no, I think I know what you're hitting on. So, okay, here's 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 a new topic of conversation we can get on. Let's, Chris, you and I, it's not often that I have uh, an ally in the room uh, <laughs> with whom I can pile on dad. Uh, but we grew up, as I mentioned, sports and sports marketing are in our DNA. It's mm-hmm. always meant something a little bit different to us. It's always been a, a, a business, right? Well, it's. I remember getting an argument on the same theme of, Wanting to wear a Leafs jersey when right. Pittsburgh's in town. You know, I'm from Toronto fan being like, you know what? Like, we have some politics involved in this. And I was like, yeah. And, you know, I'm a little kid. I'm like just hyped up. And sure enough, you know, little things like that to be aware of. So it kind of changes the way you look at the sport. Yeah. So it's always been at a very reserved level when we're at these games and taking them in in person. Sports have always been more of a business. It's why I've kind of loved paying attention to leagues that we don't deal with. Because I don't <laughs> feel any affinity towards the the individual players. It is so hard to reconcile when there's a team that you like and a player that you like on the opposite team, especially in like the playoffs when they're facing each other and you're just sitting there like, I'm supposed to hate this guy. That's what sports have taught me. You hate the opposite team. And it's, it's just really hard to, to get yourself in, 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 into that mindset because you're dealing with, with human beings. But there was one case where we, as the family, we've been very lucky to have been, been able to go see some playoff hockey in, in other cities, you know, growing up, Chris, you and I uh, were sort of uh, uh, indoctrinated into the, the Pittsburgh Penguins wheelhouse because mm-hmm. we uh, Frameworth had signed a deal with Sidney Crosby at a very early age. It's where he was drafted to. And we've been watching his games ever since we went to go watch the Penguins play Philadelphia in the playoffs in one of the <laughs> one of the strangest playoff series I think I've ever seen. It was constant. The Penguins would go up four or five goals in the game and end up losing the game. They won a game like ten to three or something crazy like that. And then we went to go see a game in Phil in Pittsburgh. And while we were there, maybe we went to the Gibson's equivalent of Pittsburgh. I'm not sure, but we all got really into the game and, uh, and dad, you had got us these tickets and they were pretty much where you would get tickets. I think if like the players, friends and families were, well, no, there, yeah, right? we, they were, they were given to us or we paid for them or given to us by one of the players. So we're in the player section and it was a playoff game. It was a playoff game against Philadelphia. Against Philadelphia. In, in and this the series that was very contentious. Was, was it like this? The, it was the next, the next series was the Stanley Cup. Like I think it was the conference uh, finals. I don't or? think it I was yet, but because the the we should know this. It but, wasn't. It but wasn't. Philly was up in the series. Philly was up going in the series. into that game. This was, by, I believe, I think three to one or something. This was the series. They were up three to one. This was the series that Sidney famously said, "I don't like anyone on that team," and he was very explicitly talking. We believe about Maxime Talbot, who had been on the Penguins. There, there was a very, very contentious uh, 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 butting of heads between those two teams, and it. You this felt is it. not stuff we know personally. This is stuff that was in. No, the this is this is all. Yeah. This yeah. is just through the. I clarify. I don't need to get a call. No, no. It's. I mean, they were they were shirts like this. That was the 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 story of this of this series was that you know fans in Philly would have shirts that said we don't like you either. Like it that was the that yeah, was the yeah, narrative yeah. of this and I say that to provide context for why we were, we were so riled up, up. And God bless the Philadelphia Flyers fans who went to that game in Pittsburgh because it was no easy feat to do it. Granted, if we were Pittsburgh fans in Philly, it would have been worse. it would have been much worse. Way worse. But we were we were getting into it. And this is the one situation and maybe you'll agree with me Chris that I ever saw dad really let his fandom show. Ever. It's the one time ever. And it showed like, it showed as good as you could. <laughs> I can't even think of the phrase. It was 
It was the best thing I've ever it was, seen. It was the biggest fanatical display I've seen. I've seen you, Dad, ever put on. And not just you. I think anyone. Well, I, keep in mind, we're in, we're in somebody else's seats, and people know me in in wherever I go in right. terms of the the buildings that I'm in and the and the associations that I have with team executives and things like that. Right. So that's why I, I have to behave before. myself. He's always reserved. I've never got to see this this fun. I call it a fun side. Yeah. I love. We loved seeing it. It was a little intense. It was very intense. I mean, we all got into it, to be fair, and, and Dad was just along for the ride. We were we were chirping the Philadelphia play. They were close enough that they could hear us from, from, from the stands. We were, we shouldn't even admit this, but blatantly yelling at the Philadelphia Flyers fans in the stand near us. All of a sudden, Chris, you and I, but we're doing it kind of in the spirit of the game. We're yelling at at the at the the players. We're we're kind of like cheering on the team. And Dad out of nowhere, starts to become cruel towards Ilya Brzgalov. Cruel towards Ilya, Ilya Brzgalov. I don't think he ever recovered he, after this day. You you were yelling things that I've never heard you yell at a, at a human being before, let alone a player on the ice. He's and walking up and down the aisles, rallying up the fans, rallying up arms the fans. up in the air. He's, he's, he's getting entire groups, entire groups of people in the stadium and singling out Flyers fans. Hey. Billy Ben over here. Fuck you. Like, like, oh, no, because the one guy, remember the one guy that had the fuck Philly sign, yes. but it was P-H-U-C-K? Yes, yes. And he stood up and I said, there you go, right there. Yes, and you were and you were sicking him on all the oh, Philadelphia yeah, yeah. fans And they were all the excited about that. And uh, so the fans are one thing, you know, no one got hurt, no one got in a fight, it was fine. But the thing I want to focus on, and this is not a shot at Ilya Brzgalov, I think he's a fantastic character. I love, I loved him in the league. I loved every interview he was in. But he was on fire uh, for up a lot of his that, career up until that game. That period when he that really period. started letting loose on Dad's yelling Swiss, Swiss cheese, cheese at him. You're you're worthless. You're this, you're that. You left a backhand from the blue line and you... <laughs> Dad literally marching. This is our barn. Our barn. That's where we heard this. Literally marching up and down the stairs. Uh, Dad, any regrets? Well, we were right behind the the play the the goal. Yes. Yeah. So, so he heard for that you. period. Oh no, he, we were only about eight eight rows back. Any regrets, or did you did you are you satisfied that that fandom got to show through without well, any I, serious repercussions? Uh, based on what you're saying, it, it's nice that you know that there's another side of me that is not so reserved. On the other hand. Um, if if uh, any of the exec, well, the, we were in Pittsburgh, so that would have been fine. But um, Bernie Perrant, who's been on the yeah. show, is a very good friend of ours. Right. And I don't think I'd want him to see what I was doing there. And, uh, you know, it, Especially it was a little, a I mean, there was a little, I mean, this seems to be the theme of the show, but there was a little alcohol involved. Of course. Um, but yeah, so so dealing with, you know, I always from day one never liked to fact that fans hometown fans would root for an away team right and there were a few of those yeah but there were other people that came from philly so you got to sure, respect sure. that but the guy behind us was the worst because he just kept he was a philly fan and he kept standing up and it was that's how i think i got started because i was so stressed out that pittsburgh wasn't winning this series yes and that was really getting to me and then the alcohol kicked in. And then this guy kept chirping in our ear and yelling at our players when it was a close game at the beginning. Right. 
And then when we started taking over, that's when I knew I had a little latitude. Because <laughs> the last thing you want to do is chirp the other team. And then the and other then team. Ha- and then have the other team be able to chirp you because your team fell apart. Yeah. So once I knew we we had the game in hand, which was earlier in the in the game, then I knew I could open up a little bit. And that guy took the brunt of it. He, and his girlfriend gave me a real weird look. But he, he took the, he <laughs> definitely took the brunt of it. I would the fuck down. Yeah. I <laughs> are words that I had never heard you say before in public. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. There was a little bit more than that. And we're not going to go into it, but there's, there's a, uh, to contextualize it, this is, you know, it isn't just sports. It isn't just fandom. It, it is a business. It's it's our livelihood to to a large degree. And we start to worry, you know, if the team does well, the company does well. If the team does poorly, the company doesn't do as well. You know, th- things like that. So we get worked up. And in that vein, Chris, I know that you've been a, a, an enormous Leafs fan your whole life. Um, and hmm. in, in spite of that, you've come around to obviously cheering for the Pittsburgh Penguins because of our relationship with, with the players well, on that we team. Teams we, cheer, we, we have to cheer for everybody that we have players on. Yeah, Right. The reason why, though, I say specifically Pittsburgh Penguins is because when they made the Stanley Cup finals in their first run, it was like a family affair. Like, yeah. we would watch the games oh, together. Every game. We'd be going out uh, uh, together. Like, there wasn't... All of our plans surrounded what happened there, and and it's a slight. We'd pick up and go, fly out, like, right. hey, we're going. We got tickets to this game. We're going, and the whole family was together. It was fantastic time. So when Pittsburgh finally won the cup, and we were all together, we were all in our Pittsburgh outfits. We had gone down to Pittsburgh for one game that that year, uh, one of the playoff games against Detroit. And when they won, uh, and we we came back. Was the sense of satisfaction you felt, Chris, as as someone who grows up with sports marketing without a real affinity to the city of Pittsburgh, was that satisfaction similar to what you would have expected to feel had the Leafs won? Or is there still I an don't, element? I, don't, I can't see them get out of the playoffs, so I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, honestly, I'm a, I've been a diehard Leaf fan, yeah. and it, it just, last year was the hardest it's ever been. Yeah. Like, I, I know the Boston, that, that it, like when we blew the lead in Boston or whatever, this there was something about this year. Well, I, I they, barely watched any hockey this year because it, win or, it just or you really believe they could go the whole way, and then yeah. just the way it happened. But um, that Pittsburgh celebration, it felt like that was ours. Like it I, really I, did. It, it was so ingrained. I think we've at that point. I was doing a ton of work with a lot of the players. You had personal, almost felt like personal yeah. relationships at least. And you're like, seems like you're rooting for your friends. So um, at that point, I don't think we were doing much with. I don't think while I was working there, we did much Leaf stuff at those no. times. So I never really right. had that type of thing. My my Leaf affinities because I'm born and raised here right. and absolutely right. love the Leafs. Um, you did you did have kind of a, a close relationship with a lot of players so much so that uh, the the MVP of the final game, Maxime Talbot, to bring him up again, scored <laughs> two goals in in game uh, seven of those uh, Stanley Cup playoffs against Detroit. And when we went down to do a signing with the team, Maxime Talbot gave you a little present, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he, he, far, he farted on me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it weird that I was kind of like proud? Like, yeah, I'm one of the boys now, you know, I was hanging, I was hanging out in the trainer's room waiting for somebody. He's like, what the hell are you doing here again? You're here quite a bit. That walked by and let one rip. And I was like, what are you doing, man? That's amazing. I loved, I loved that story. Uh, Just, just to feel, listen, here's us making fun of people for, for wanting to drink Jonathan Taves's water. And you got farted on by a player. And felt kind of cool. What am I going to say? It is what it is. Um, Speaking of a point of pride, dad, uh, you know, you, you, you've, you've built this company from the ground up. Uh, You got a family who, uh, you know, three kids who have all worked here at some point or another. 
Was there ever a sense when you started this that this was going to be a family affair? Was it? Was there a sense that this was going to be, you know, an Aaronworth property moving forward? Well, or and, were you just taking it year by year? You know, we're very family oriented. So yeah, any anything that we do is like uh, company was built. I'm happy to have the the kids in the business and take it over one day. And uh, it hasn't quite worked out that way. But I think his interest was in other areas. Chris is more of a social person. And, um, you know, we had a more in office sales as mm-hmm. opposed to out of office sales. And that's not his thing. Yeah. You're more operational. So you stayed longer than you're, you're, the office is my happy yeah. place. So, it's, uh, so they've abandoned me. So if there's any kids out there that want to take over my business <laughs> one day, give me a call. No. Um, and now we can we can lead that, Chris, to, you know, you got out of the sports marketing world and, and a lot of people would probably look at that and think you're crazy. But, you know, it is it is a business like any other. And if it's if it's not yours, then then you want to do different things. You've always had a passion for the restaurant industry and you currently mm-hmm. work at Pig Out Barbecue, Spadina and Harbor in Toronto. Uh, work at or, or started Pig Out? You, <laughs> you start, start, well, you, you, you'll find, no, no, you'll be found there day in, day out exactly, working passionately, yeah. but you are an owner of that restaurant mm-hmm. and uh, uh, some of the best barbecue in the city. And if I, you go there, you're going to see all sorts of famous hockey players that are of photos on the wall, famous hockey players eating his food like Sidney Crosby and yes. Jonathan Bernier and a bunch of other guys that he supplied the food for that love it so you haven't completely gotten rid of the sports marketing bones no in your body. I, I that's the best part i have the pictures up on the wall people come in all the time they're like you a hockey player were you a hockey player i'm like no i just worked in the industry there was there's that uh <laughs> there's a funny story there's the double decker bus the sightseeing bus that goes yes. around toronto and i guess some of the like tour guides that were there came to the restaurant and Someone came in. They're like, "Oh, this is the place they were talking about on the on the double decker bus. This is the place that that every time that all the athletes they come in, this is the place that they eat at." And I'm like, <laughs> I, a few people came in before, but it's definitely not That's that. Amazing. Like, well, so I'm see, like, hey, I'll, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm we not had gonna Tom Bitov on uh, last week or the week before, two weeks and, ago, yeah. and uh, now that Gretzky's is closed down, you know, Pig Out Barbecue has taken over that role. So you know, when people come to town, they go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, they right. go to the game, and then they go to Pig Out Barbecue. That's it. Like that's, the that. that's, that's the third step. <laughs> the third step. Now, one question to lead us off, Chris, um, uh, and and I do highly urge you to go out there. This obviously we're family, but uh, I'm a huge fan of barbecue, and I I can't get enough of your restaurant. Um, I want to lead us off with one question. As someone who's in the rare situation of having worked both in the realm of sports marketing and sports management and outside of it similarities differences how how do the two how, how does how does any regular job stack up to working in in sports marketing well it, it depends on what's going on I, I i like jobs and situations that have a personal touch i like to sure. be talking to people I like to be meeting new people moving around just kind of, i like an excitement something different so when when i was working here when it's like hey you got to go out do these signings you got to stop by here that that is the thing that kind of gets me going it's the reason why i like the restaurant industry yeah. everything's different every day you have different interactions with different people uh problems will arise that things you never realized you have to deal with before um in terms of similarities it's just a matter of coping skills and people skills i think that's the biggest transition between the two you sure. learn how to deal with people in this industry and then you can take that across the other industry but feels like there's positives and negatives across any industry but at the end of the day the thing i always try to stress to people is that work is work I, i've done a couple lectures at uh, durham college to kind of you know it, they have a sports management program there and I've, I've i've spoken to some of the classes and and the first question i always ask is you guys are in sports management what do you guys want to do for a living and they always say i want to i want to go into sports management and i said what is that what does that mean what are you going to do day in day out 
I was like, do you mean you want to be an agent? And some of them are like, yeah, I guess so. I was like, okay, but you understand that sports- Pretty broad umbrella, It is. It's an industry. You can be an accountant in the realm of sports Mm -hmm. marketing. You can be in operations. You can be in sales. You can be a marketer if that's that's what you want to do. But but just like any other industry, it's a business. And that's kind of what we wanted to have you on was was to to provide that context. Tell some of the good stories, some of the bad stories, and uh, everything in between. Dad, any other thoughts? You got your two kids here. Anything you want to say to us? No, just, you know what? I don't know if. This will be on before Christmas. This will be on before Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you that celebrate Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone else. Um, Thanks for listening. And um, remember to to, uh, subscribe, rate, and review. And that really helps us. And the more that happens, then the more we can give back. Absolutely. And tell a friend. Tell a friend, we've had such positive feedback from everyone uh, over the past uh, uh, couple of weeks, especially. It seems like things are really moving for us and uh, some really kind words out there. And hopefully this family affair suits the theme of the holiday (laughs) season. Uh, Hug your loved ones out there tight. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'd give you a hug out there if uh, if you were in here with me. Uh, but until next week, we have uh, some special things planned just before the end of the year. Chris Aaronworth, owner of Pig Out Barbecue. Check it uh, out, guys. At Spadina and Harvard, uh, just across from the... 650 Spadina. 650 Spadina, just across from the Robarts Library, uh, U of T. Uh, for Brian Aaronworth, president of Framework Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast, this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is my Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!